this is Unfolding Words, the weekly podcast aimed at sharing biblical truth to offer light for your walk and life for your soul. I'm your host, Antracia Moorings, and this is episode number 67. This week, we're going to talk about the high places of your heart. I pray that you're having a most blessed week and never take for granted that you tune in. I don't know if you're on your commute, you're working out, you're doing housework, but I'm so glad that you've included me as part of your day. So in the Old Testament, you may have read the term high places. It's mentioned more than 100 times. And the high places were centers for Canaanite worship that the Jews were commanded to tear down. But instead, these places where idol worship took place became places of worship, like the main place of worship that subtly seduced God's people year after year. They just couldn't stay away, and it turned out to be destructive for them. But what about today? Is this still practical application for us? Are followers of Christ still tempted by high places? Now, let's look at it a different way. Do believers sometimes give in to today's idols like materialism, or an improper view of sex, we can learn a lot about overcoming these seductive sins from the stories about high places. So something that's mentioned 117 times in the Old Testament has a lot of practical application for us today. The Hebrew word for high place is Bama, B-A-M-A-H. It's a mountaintop or an open air altar on an elevated knoll near a town. And according to 1 Kings 14 and 23, the Canaanites built for themselves high places and sacred pillars and ashram on every high hill and beneath every luxuriant tree. Even before Israel crossed the Jordan into Canaan, Moses urged the Jews to demolish all of their high places or they would become as pricks in your eyes and as thorns in your sides. This is Numbers 33 verses 52 and 55. So why in the world was God so concerned about these mythical Canaanite deities? Because that's really what they were. They were made up gods that people worshipped. Just look at some of the gods that people worshipped in these places. There was El. He was the supreme head of the Canaanite pantheon of gods. There was a myriad of gods. And he was supposedly the father of creation. There was Baal. He was the lord of earth and rain which were prerequisites for successful harvest in a dry land. There was Ashtoreth, which was the goddess of fertility. Canaanite farmers visited her shrines to mate with cult prostitutes to guarantee crop fertility. And we thought we had some wicked things going on in our society. There was Dagon. He was the principal god of the Philistines. Dagon means grain in Hebrew and is associated with the wheat harvest. In 1 Chronicles 10, 8 through 10, when the Philistines found King Saul's body on Mount Gilboa, they fastened his head in the house of Dagon. There was Molech. He was an Ammonite god to whom children were sacrificed. At Gezer, archaeologists have found clay jars containing the charred bones of babies. There was also Shemosh, a Moabite deity, honored with horrible, cruel rites like those of Molech, to whom children were sacrificed in the fire. And that's just six of 26 major Canaanite gods and goddesses. 
High places were not just harmless shrines where made-up gods lived. God's people were seduced to flagrant sins at these altars. Isaiah rebuked them in Isaiah chapter 57, verses 4 through 5. He said, Are you not children of rebellion who inflame yourselves among the oaks under every luxuriant tree who slaughter the children in the ravines? In First and Second Kings, the presence of high places serves as a sort of litmus test for where Israel's morality stood. When the kings build these worship sites, the people had to forsake Yahweh for foreign gods because you can't serve two gods. And when they removed them, God would be pleased and he would promise his presence. God wanted to drive out the Canaanites because of the wickedness of the Canaanites, not because the Jews were so good. God was never casual towards sin. But on the other hand, the Jews were casual about these idolatrous high places for 800 years. Solomon is a prime example. As he grew older, his wives turned his heart away after God's, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord, his God. We see this in 1 Kings 11 and 4. And then he turned around and built a high place for his wives. From Solomon to Hezekiah, 30 kings in all, 12 in Judah and 18 in Israel, they all failed to remove the high places. Even good kings like Asa and Jehoshaphat failed to remove the high places from the land. But something about Hezekiah and his walk with God told him that the past failures should not dictate his future. And this lack of loyalty with just serving God and respecting the covenant relationship resulted in God splitting up the kingdoms. And then these divided kingdoms resulted in royal lines being cut off. And there were civil and foreign wars and eventually exile. So while we may not fully understand all of the complexity of the high places, there's one message that stands clear. God is long suffering and he's willing to forgive his people and their disobedience. But he always wants our uncompromising obedience and loyalty. In the end, he is not satisfied with anything else. So today, there are also high places in our personal lives that have to come down if we're to please God. If we want wholehearted approval now, we have to continually be transforming ungodly beliefs and behaviors that go against God's words. We have to be determined to climb to those high places that exist in our hearts and in our lives and our beliefs and destroy them. Whatever's lifted up against the knowledge of the true God, we have to identify it and replace it no matter how uncomfortable we are with it and no matter how long it's been around. Ephesians six twelve says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness in this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. It's interesting to note that this phrase, high places, occurs here in the context of spiritual battle. This helps us understand why God wants those high places annihilated, because they represent the influence and the activity of demonic forces that were dedicated to the destruction of Israel and the royal line, the royal seed, which resulted in Jesus Christ himself. This is why God told his people to destroy them because he knew that their idolatry would weaken and destroy them. 
But Israel was so persistent in their compromise with idolatry that it led to their captivity by a string of foreign nations and then a total loss of their kingdom and sovereignty as a nation. And Jacob's trouble, the time of tribulation that's still to come for Israel, that's chronicled in the book of Revelation, is another consequence of the disobedience and failure to honor God as the only true God. So although our worship is no longer just limited to the Temple Mount, we can still fall prey to the temptation to climb to those high places or to let those high places still exist in our hearts. We can climb those high places by climbing the wrong hill to get to God. So we can often fall into building high places when our level of godliness matches what culture's standard of Christianity is. So when we compare ourselves to other Christians around us and our spiritual life meets their standard, we can often think we're okay because we're not measuring ourselves by the standard of the word of God. But we have to get back on track and we can do this by asking ourselves a few questions. First, do I strive to become like Christ or like my Christian culture around me? So if the culture, Christian culture around me doesn't condemn sexual sin, like fornication or adultery, or everyone's doing it, then that's a sign that we need to knock down some high places in our heart, because that's not the standard that the word of God sets for us. Also, do I give my all to him or do I just give what's necessary to keep up appearances? So do I carry my Bible around? Do I attend weekday prayer and that's just enough, but I don't pray on my own or I'm not praying for the proper things. We can't just go by an appearance of godliness. We have to have godliness and righteousness in our hearts. And does my Bible reading, prayer and other disciplines serve to draw me to him or are they to soothe my conscience that I'm spiritual? So all of these, the bottom line is What standard are we measuring ourselves by? Do we have all of these high places in our lives, these this idolatry? Maybe we're serving materialism and we're striving for that, but we're not striving for God. So does our striving for the things of the world match our striving for God? If our striving for the things of the world is greater than God, then we have to get things back in alignment. We know that there's a high place if things are wonky In that manner. So let's not be like the nation of Israel and ignore the high places of our hearts. If God is pointing out a high place in your heart, it's for a reason. It's for you to draw attention to it and to take care of it. Because God wants nothing but the best for us when it comes to spiritual matters. So I'll leave these questions in the show notes, the questions that will help you deal with the high places in your hearts. Do you strive to become like Christ or like your Christian culture? Do you give your all to him or do you just give what's necessary to keep up appearances? And does your Bible reading prayer and other disciplines serve to draw you to him? So I'll include all those questions in the show notes so that you can have a copy. And that's it for this week's episode. 
If you'd like to support the show, you can do so via my Patreon page. I'll leave a link in the show notes for that, but it's patreon.com slash unfolding words. So if you'd like to support, I would greatly appreciate that. Also, if you're enjoying the show, please share with a friend. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review so that others know that the show is worth listening to. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope that you have a most blessed week. And I'll see you back here next week. Until then, may God's word be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. God bless you.